0: Tonight, a couple things I wanted to share with you. Um, one, I'm going to share, let see, in John chapter 15, we'll get to the part I want to study through and walk through here in a little bit, but I love John 15 because as Jesus is encouraging his disciples, you know, there's so much between John 14 and 16 in that, it's really where he teaches them about the person of the Holy Spirit in, in greater detail. Um, he ter- teaches them, in a sense, uh, about the, the the persistence of God, if you would. How you know he he loves them, how he loves them. He teaches them how the sustenance of God, meaning he says, "I am the vine, you are the branches." So he's, he's taking real simple images and examples and saying. You know, this is how things are. And we know, because we have the benefit of the whole Bible, we know what they didn't understand. They didn't, they didn't grasp consciously. The cross was just around the corner. They, their life was going to change so much. But what I find in John 15:11, Jesus says to you and I and to his disciples and every disciple since this first generation we read of till now. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. We sing joy to the world. We maybe even read it on cards or send Christmas cards out with that. And, and we understand the joy there, in a sense, is referring to the event, um, the coming of the Messiah. Jesus here is speaking of something that's a part of it, of course, but he's telling you and I, I've, I've told you these things. What things? Well, we can say that discourse or that sermon, so to speak, to his disciples, but I think you can see it encompasses the whole counsel of God, the whole word of God. He's told us what takes place in this world, right? Told us how it started, tells us how it's going to end, he even tells us what it's going to like be like in pretty much every season in between, you know? And so when you see the headlines or when you hear some of these things that are happening in the world that are really heart-wrenching and heartbreaking, remember he's still in control. And he's told us those things that our joy may, re- that his joy, my joy may remain in you. Because I believe, I don't believe he's saying that it can be removed, but it can be smothered like a blanket over the top of joy. It can get just overwhelmed. And he's saying, my, my joy remain in you and your joy, that your joy may be full. So it's why we can have joy, not not happiness. We're, we would shed a tear, even tears of joy, even though someone goes through horrible and hard things. Because we know, you know, this is going to end soon. This is going to come to an end. The people will be held accountable for the horrible things they've done. No one's going to get away with anything. And I, I, I let that resonate to keep joy from being smothered. I allow it to you know, kind of be there. Because then when something you see um, encouraging and uplifting and other things that are happening in the world that are good things, you know, you tend to have a, a more of a heartbeat, you know, more of a breath of fresh air. Like, man, that was so good to hear that story or read about that situation or see how they handled that. And your joy tends to be more aware. Does that, does that help? Because I think we sing joy to the world, but we're not joyful people sometimes because we, we live in the world. And so there's just so much that can come at us. And Jesus is telling his disciples at a point when much is going to come at them. You know they're going to find they're going to be in the most upside down time of their lives. It was upside down when they come to Christ and started to follow Him, and family members were shunning them, and they were facing being ostracized and various things. But not like where they're going to face when they look upon the cross and see Him there, and scatter. Even previously, because many of them don't even see Him on the cross; they scatter, completely bewildered, because what's happened. How did this happen? Of course, they were quickly drawn back together, whether it be from the women's account, the two guys on the road to Emmaus, the group that gathered that Jesus met. They're in the upper room, and later, you know, the story then goes out, and they're rebuilt. But anyway, I want to encourage you. I don't know who it would be for specifically, but let his joy be in you. And you It says in verse 11, I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Let it overflow. So, Let's now turn. um, I was mapping out here recently uh, the teaching schedule, and I'd like to look at what I've taught in the past uh, during the Christmas season and kind of see how it fits as far as what what to teach when. I love teaching the Christmas story. Uh, I have two opportunities I usually see. I usually see the week prior, to Christmas and then Christmas Day thing. Well, the Christmas Day is the Christmas Eve one this time. And so I was kind of just kind of working it out, kind of laying it through and seeing what to teach in each portion. And as I did that, you know, I really, really was prompted, really felt, you know, uh, actually look forward to to doing more of a read through tonight. I won't be making as much comment, if you would. We're going to cover about 60 verses we're going to begin in Luke chapter uh, 1, and we're going to catch the background. I'll give you a little bit. You know, John the Baptist, um, his birth has been announced to uh, uh, Zacharias, and Zacharias, you know, is serving in the temple at that time. And so that's unfolding, and Elizabeth is pregnant. And we're going to pick up in verse 26. A we'll little shift to attention towards Mary, but let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, that you teach us what it means to know hope and truth and life. What it's like to, to really experience your touch within our hearts. As our senses and our intelligence and our observations pick up on what's happening in this world and how, how hard and difficult it is for so many. But yet your presence reminds us that you are in control. It calms us even when we don't want to be calmed. It, it awakens us to eternity when we're swamped by this temporary reality. And so we just thank you for that, God. And we just even tonight as we would read through again and review and be reminded Of this beautiful story. Not just a historical story. But your story. Teaching us. Revealing to us. Your love. Your commitment to humanity. That you would come as a man. Even be raised by man so to speak. cared for by humanity. That you God would live as a human. As a person. Enduring so much with love propelling you, compelling you, moving you forward to the cross. Help us, Lord, to have a greater understanding and a deeper insight to what you have embedded in your word that we can walk away tonight even encouraged even more by your faithfulness, by your perfect plan for humanity, and the most beautiful gift of all time, your life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So let's pick up in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, this is the sixth month in relation to the context would be to Elizabeth's sixth month. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Because I'm pretty sure when an angel shows up, you don't go, hey, what's up, Gabe? You're going to be like, there's just something so dramatic, so phenomenal. And, and we're going to see as we work through this study and as really read through, you know, how she really was a person who sought God, a person who was raised by a family that taught her the word, the Old Testament, in essence, is what she had. And she, she really had a personal hunger and a knowledge and a desire I don't think there's anything to indicate she was a miracle seeker, per se. You know, some people want to have a big event. I don't mind big events, I just haven't had one. You know what I mean? I haven't. I wasn't hiding in the sagebrush when Moses was watching the burning bush. You know what I mean? And I have learned to not, not chase those experiences. I'm okay with them to take place, but I'm not pursuing it. And I, I think she was the same. She's just, you know, wanting to, to know God. So when this angel shows up and says that you're highly favored, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. I mentioned it on Sunday, that it was the desire of the, the dream, if you would, culturally, for the young uh, women, the young Jewish women, to be the woman that would carry the Messiah. It was just something that they they knew, those who knew the word knew that this would, how it would come about. So you can be sure she, was, she thought about it, but we see in her humility, um, she's just like, I, I, I don't, <laughs> What's going on there? And he says, and I love this about the angels do tend to say this. Don't be afraid, Jesus said. Do not fear. A couple of times, you know, he says that after he uh, is resurrected. Behold, you will conceive a son in your womb. You conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Well, Mary's tracking with him. She understands what he's saying. In verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? She understood. She had biology class. She knew what was going on. It's like, I don't understand how this fits because, you know, you're married and then you have kids. And it's just really practical how she's just thinking in a real level, even with a little little fear. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And so he just says, it's going to be different. It's going to be different for you. And we see he then goes on, and we'll get into here in a little bit. But notice that it says in verse 32 that he will give this son the throne of his father, David. Jesus wasn't going to be the son of David. Jesus was the son of David. Now we're seeing him, the son of David, as we see from the Old Testament framework. He is going to be incarnate, born as, as, a, as a son. And the reason I mention that is it's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't become this. Some have alluded to in, in very errant teaching that Jesus followed all the sacrament, did all the things, and became a God. Became God because he didn't do anything wrong. Which is not what's going on here. God, God literally in human form. You know, God from the beginning, not doing everything right and earning the title or achieving the accomplishment. Now, as the story continues, Mary, you know, she's um, in Nazareth, 70 miles, I believe, out of um, Jerusalem. Is it Nathanael that said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That gives you a glimpse of the reputation of Nazareth. It wasn't a a well-known place. Well, it was well-known, but not for good reasons, you know, it was at least known. So now... She's going to travel, as we are seeing in a minute, in verse 36. Indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We finished there on Sunday. You may remember verse 38 was... A petition a good thing to remember and a request we may offer up ourselves to the lord let it be to me according to your word whatever you're going through whatever's going on that you would have a teachable heart a humble heart to say god whatever you have you know she even identifies herself as a maidservant it was just saying i am whatever you decide this or i'll go with that's just you know you know what's best And so now we're going to see she's going to travel. In verse 39, Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Who's Elizabeth? What child is she carrying? Yeah, John the Baptist. So, here, Mary, you, you can tell she's pretty touched by the angel t- showing up. But she's pretty excited to go confirm some of this. Not, I don't believe, because of doubt, but because, man, I want to I go see Elizabeth now. I want to know what's going on. I want to hear some things. And it says that the babe leaped in her womb, I wish, our modern movement that can't figure out when a baby begins would read this portion of scripture those who tend to align with their their choices of scripture but they don't understand when life begins what 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 leaped in the womb the fetus the product of conception the blob <laughs> it's pretty obvious it's a baby and it's very specific the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Now she's talking to Mary. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I believe that Elizabeth has a great insight right here because of what took place seconds previously. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something that happened at that moment that enabled her to see the work of God. And really, even as we know from uh, in the book of Acts, the filling of the Holy Spirit enables and empowers you to be his witness. And so we see her literally being a witness. And I don't know that she had thought about what she's saying, but she declares that you are the mother of my Lord. And it's very possible they had conversation before what's recorded here. But keeping it to the context, we don't know that they had a discussion about Mary being pregnant. It was Elizabeth that was pregnant. And Elizabeth then just says, man, you're the mother of my Lord. And notice now, follow me on verse 44. Indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for though there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. I believe God is using this situation in Mary's life to bring forth truth to encourage her. And it's coming forth from Elizabeth. Elizabeth is just sharing, they're just having a pretty fascinating you know, encounter, if you would, because Mary shows up and, and then all this was, we just read is unfolding. But notice what she said, blessed is she who believe. Because I wonder if Mary was still struggling with some of these things that are now before her. And she's sorting out, of, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. She's sorting out and figuring it through. And, and here, just out of nowhere, Blasso, you, you, you believe. Just stay on course with that. For there will be fulfillment of those things which your Lord told you. It's going to come to pass, Mary. It's going it's to be okay. It's going to happen. And then Mary responds, in what's called the Magnificent from the, the Latin term. In verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord, or just Lord really speaks of the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him, With her about three months and returned to her house. Encourage you to read this song of Mary as it's referred to in some subheadings, over and just you know you can kind of soak up and see her knowledge of of God, her personal relationship. You see what she's revealing. She's she's saying things that aren't um, directly attached to what the angel said not directly attached. You see what I'm saying? She's she's relating the word of God to her life, but she really isn't making it about her experiences. She's talking about who God is. See, if our engagement with God inadvertently becomes about our experiences, and that's how we have verification and that's how we have confirmation, then we're going to we're we're, we're going to eventually crash. It's not about our experiences. It's about His promises. It's about who He is. And because we learn who He is, our experiences are brought into that knowledge. We don't have to have the experience and then try to insert the knowledge. Does that make sense? Because when we get those inverted, it, it it's as a crash. Now, understand your experiences are an important part of your faith. It, it's very important that we learn to correlate and connect and realize god is with us he never leaves us or forsakes us as a born-again christian he he doesn't depart from you he doesn't abandon you he says figure it out i've had enough of you never will say that and so here's a lady a young woman (coughs) excuse me who is is glorifying god my soul magnifies the lord my spirit has rejoiced in god my savior He regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. We know that Joseph and Mary are not wealthy people. From the offerings they bring, from the reality that when they go to Jerusalem just moments before Jesus is born, they didn't, you know, they didn't book a Hilton, you know what I'm saying? There was not any room because there was just a lot of people coming in, as we'll see why, but they didn't have the resources either to secure a room, to secure, to, to, to buy. They were just very poor people, but to put it basically. And yet she, she knows, he knows the, the lowly state of her maidservant. And notice this, it says on, on down a little bit, he has put down the mighty from their thrones. As a teenager, she has the wisdom to realize perceived power, position, and authority in this world means nothing to God. He can raise some up and he'll take some down. And she had that insight. like you know, The low, the mighty, they, they don't, he can take their thrones. He, he can exalt the lowly, fill the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. So important to realize that we should be satisfied and hungry all the time. Isn't that interesting? Um, satisfied in that knowing who God is and his faithfulness and growing in that relationship. And yet, being satisfied in that certainty, hungry to know more of it. That's why when we dig into the Word, we don't get to like check it off on our spiritual scorecard or keep it on our little to-do list. We could do that. But I've found when I'm in the Word and just really realizing it's what it's doing in me as far as I'm comprehending it, letting it, it be a part of my life experience, letting it really give me a sense of who God is, when I'm satisfied... <laughs> I'm actually hungry, because you get done, have you ever been there? You get done, and then you kind of want to catch the next chapter, or you get done, and you want to keep going, and obviously, you know, it sounds deal well, we should just read more. It's like, well, no, you, you, you need to feed the dog, all right, you need to change the oil in the car, you need to go to work, there's certain things that are, you just now take this reading, which is satisfied, but I'm still hungry, and now I chew on it. As I drive down the road, I chew on it as I go through the life responsibilities that I have and that you have. And so she says, you see how she has this hunger, and yet she's satisfied seeing what God has done. I'm going to skip now from verse 56, because verse 57 through the end of the chapter is a great story, but it now direct goes back to telling us the history and kind of the background um, with the birth of John the Baptist. So tonight we'll, we'll move over to uh, Luke chapter 2, and I'm just going to co- we'll cover the verse 7 verses, trying to find follow a, a bit of a chronology, if you would, between the two Gospels that we're looking at to see you know, how it comes to pass. So it says in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Caesar Augustus probably, he was one of, I, I think arguably, the person that had more power than any other one individual in human history as far as uh, secular or, or uh, human governments. He was. It was amazing how much power he wielded and how really the Roman Empire, how it... It capitalized on the Greek and other, you know, progression of humanity, or regression, depending on how you want to look at it, and how that empire was so inclusive and so widespread. We know the downfall to the Roman Empire was power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. They had so much in the upper echelon. Uh, They had slaves, they had everything that, they could buy whatever they wanted, basically. And when you, when you have that much at your disposal, morality is disposed of. Because there's nothing to, to kind of raise the bar to appease the, uh, the natural hunger for a little bit more. So when you, can cru- when you can have things financially in that sense, you're not satisfied by one more thing. So then we see, and I could give examples, I'm not going to get into that in our culture alone, where we've seen people that had so much, and then they get into deviant behavior, immoral behavior, because they can, you know, like they they just choose to. And so, you know, if you studied the Roman Empire, it was really, really immoral. The latter stages, it was, you know, and it's something that scares you and I, I believe. Statement that's very accurate historically. As the family goes, so goes the nation. And that's really what happened in the Roman Empire. You know, it started coming apart and there was not a focus on the family, so to speak. And there, Anyway, I'll get into all of it, but you see the connection in our culture and even what's happening right now. But this guy has the power to require everyone to go be registered. And we know it's for taxation. But he had a little bit of, if you would sensitivity to the people groups. So he, he sent them back to their homeland. That's why they would go to their city of their fathers, you know. So that wasn't to, to interrupt their identity and make them Roman. It was to help them have a little sense of identity and a little bit of a, their own personal history, even though they were ruled over um, by the Roman Empire. Quirinius is an interesting statement. What this does is this separates us for you and I and, and others maybe were just starting to sort out, is this life? Is this truth? There's many religions in many different ways. Well, this is interesting. This is not just um, some fable or myth like much of Greek mythology, that there's a story that happened and this deity come down with humanity and this is what happened. What, when, when we're told Quirinius was governing Syria, that's secular, that's a historical point in history. That's funny that the Bible inserts this and in itself. This is when it happened. So it's not just something that was made up. It's actually trackable, so to speak. Uh, even up into the second century, there was records of, of of Jesus and the things that took place at the time. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, and others have recorded those things. So I say that for some of us when we first start out, we're trying to sort out, how do you know? How do you know? Well, Go look up this guy. Go look up the governing processes. Go look up, was there ever an edict or a decree in human history that would correlate with what happened here with Caesar Augustus? And there was. They went up to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child, as I mentioned on Sunday, the betrothal period was very binding. It was a serious commitment. It was a marriage. If, if The betrothal period was more of a commitment than many people in the marriages in our world today. And so you didn't just think they were married and all, for all intents and purposes in the sense of the, the process and the ceremonies were, were going to be graduated or coming up. Anyway. As they go you know, from Galilee, you know, down by the Sea of Galilee, the city of Nazareth is not on the seashore but up, it's quite a journey across, past Jericho and, and, and up and over into Jerusalem. Having drove it here just uh, last uh, September, uh, Kim and I were there in 2019 in November, it's very barren which the Jordan area and down by the city of Petra, that's barren. It it literally is just flat, wide open, and there's not even a bush. This is barren, but it's rugged. It's rugged, not only with rocky stuff. It's as rugged as anything I've climbed in these mountains out here. And you don't realize that, you know, the topography. And I say that because it, it was a very difficult travel. It was a very, very difficult... At any time, nine months pregnant... That's a whole different thing. And there's no indication that she actually got to ride on a donkey. Uh, it, make, it looks good for pictures and stuff. And, and there may be some beast of burden that they were able to use at the times. There may have been some compassion along the highway. But it was a very dangerous highway as well, our pathway. It varied based on water sources on which uh, actual routing they would take each year. But. So they go there. And it says in verse 6, So it was... While they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. It's almost like, oh, yeah, and she had a baby. (laughs) You know what I mean? They travel, all this. And I love this part because you ladies can relate to this who have had children. Who was delivered? The child? No, mom. Mom was delivered because guess what? Mom's body's been under construction for nine months, and she has now been having to adapt to another life and all another and all this stuff. And so, you know, the process of birth is painful. And she's delivered now. She gets to hold this child. And uh, I, there's, uh, there's a lot to it, I think, if we kind of ponder that a little bit. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So there was no place for them to be. Um, the manger we know is a feeding trough. Many believe that this place actually that took place where the child was born, where Jesus was born, was actually probably um, like a like along a, the, the edge of the mountains or the cliffs, they would actually take a cave or a, a little cove type thing, and they'd run a fence across or rocks across the front because to put your sheep in there, your cattle, whatever, you only had to build one side because you had the benefit of the... the Natural terrain. And so um, some of those actually did have caves and stuff, and so many hold that there's a particular cave. And um, history, you can study it on your own, and see who, you know, they kind of hold that this was pretty sure about this particular place and, and where the church was built and the, the Church of the Nativity and such, but I don't hold too tight on that. We weren't even really told details on a lot of things. Why do we are not given specific GPS coordinates on these things? because we'd worship the spot not the purpose. That's why. I believe that's why we see so much we're just we know well it just the history proves that, you know. So so now we're going to actually switch from verse 7. I'm going to leave you with a teaser from 8 to 20 some is going to be Friday night or Saturday night. So I'm going to move from here. We're going to now go back over to Matthew and we'll pick up in Matthew chapter 2. What a beautiful story we've read up to this point, where the scenarios, and we could spend a lot of time trying to break it down and sort it out and see more and more, and I encourage you to do that. But it, it does take an interesting turn, don't you think? What's going to happen? If you know where I'm going, you know what, what takes place next, in that the very the moment that Jesus is born. It's like our enemy is reactionary. He's not all-knowing. Satan is not all-knowing. The devil doesn't know everything. Um, he has experience with humanity for roughly 6,000 years. So that he can use to his benefit or his strategies. But he doesn't know everything. And he seems to be reactionary. If you've ever, like we, we talk about that, like we've got this youth retreat coming up. It's like once we start in the preparation, and if you've been to retreats or you in your own personal life when you make commitments, it seems like the battle intensifies when you make the commitment. I and mean, when you stay, the more you stay focused and do it, the more you seem to come at you. It's like the enemy is somewhat reactionary. And we know that as we're going to see this story that there, that's an element. I'm not saying it's his only means by which he strategizes. We're told in Ephesians to be aware of the wiles of the enemy, which speaks of Scheming or strategizing the way he works in this world. And we're to kind of like figure some of this out because he repeats himself and know where our strength lies from. But let's pick up in Matthew chapter 2 with the story of Jesus and see how things unfold from here, which I think is a well, clearly a very dark time as the light's starting to shine. In verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, because wise men, or behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Herod the king was under Augustus. He had his region. So, and and there's multiple Herods in the Bible. So you follow the family line, you can dig it out. But none of them, they didn't get better and better and better. Honestly, they started bad and just held their own at bad. Well, Herod has these wise men. I call them wise guys, but they're really magi. Um, astrologers would be kind of a kind of a maybe a mix—a little bit of astronomy, astrology, and, and sorcery, and some other things that they practice. So they come to the king and, and they say, "Where is he who's been born king of the Jews?" For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. You notice that? Herod was troubled because we know what. They said, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? And who's what's Herod's title? King. So now he has someone challenging him. Some, and in, in that uh, government history, that kind of... Aristocracy and monarchy and the way they did it. You know, when someone was born, is, you know, even through the line of the of Jewish history, when a king is born, sometimes the reigning king, if he's not of that same family line, what's he do with the ones that are born? Kills them. You know, he takes away the competition so his kids can you know be in line and and so it was very much uh, a lot of insecurity, a lot of corruption, a lot of jealousy, a lot of oddities, really. But we know Herod is troubled in all Jerusalem. I wonder if it's all of Jerusalem. Because when you live under a lunatic, you know how crazy they can get. And, and, and you see how they can just, you know, what's he going to do next? If he now wants Because here's this, somebody comes into town and says, Hey, we're just trying to find this king of the Jews. What's your, your king Herod, you know where he's at? You know, and, and he plays it really well, don't you think? I mean, the way it's recorded... Look what, it, when Herod, it says, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them. So he gra- gathers everybody that would know Jewish history. Everybody would know, okay, these are the ones that would know their books, their their prophets and all their writings and their history. And he says to them, you know, where, find out where this Christ was to be born. So they said to him, the scribes and the, you know, all these scholars they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Well, we know, this is out of Micah, we glanced at that last Wednesday when we were going over some other things. But Here's a thought, a consideration, and I believe it's a repeated thing that takes place. The scholars weren't looking for the king. But the scholars knew where he had come from. Many people want to know the word of God, but they're not going to do anything with that word. They want to be able to, oh, I, I, it's going to come out of Bethlehem. Wouldn't that make you, you think if you're a scholar and you really, st- like, whoa, we should check into this. <laughs> we should find out more about this. So maybe, they, you know, well, we, we don't think it's going to happen now. I mean, you go to Israel now, you don't have a, You know, little thing. They don't wear shirts that says "Jesus Reigns." You know what I mean? My Messiah is Jesus. They don't. They don't even really follow Jehovah. Seriously, there's very few that you know. Whether you call them fundamentalists or whatever group you slip them into, there's very few that really believe that God has has any interest in planet Earth. They really are so. And part of you know what the biggest struggle with them is, especially the the my age and younger. You know what the biggest struggle is the Holocaust. What really happened? What people are saying oh, it didn't happen? It happened. And so you think what they're trying to reconcile. Uh, so our God allowed millions of us to be killed and he's in control. I mean, that's the secular reasoning behind it. And you can see why they get. But another thing is they're actually, their eyes are clouded according to Romans. You know, they're not going to see right now. You know, there. there will come a time, and other passages will tell you. There, this is not the, the 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 Jews will will really wake up. Really, once the church is removed, really once the the tribulation period starts, and in a practical sense, God directs his, redirects his attention to the nation Israel. We are not a replacement for the nation Israel. The church is not. We are where God is directing His attention in this time of the Gentiles, and they'll, now there 'll come a time and I would suggest it 'll be the rapture of the church. Some events could just be happening before that some of the uh, Ezekiel stuff and some other you know battles in the uh, in the holy Land could take place, but the next significant event will be the church being removed and the church being removed. God will redirect his ten- attention to israel he 's never neglected him. Never said, you know, the church is Jew and, or, and all this stuff. Instead, he will redirect his attention to Israel. And then they will actually be going, oh, now we're seeing who the Messiah is as he returns. So Herod, verse 7, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. So they're told that this child He's told from the Jewish scholars the child will come from Bethlehem. He gets the, the magi to come around. Many people, uh, well, I get into, the book of Daniel is tied to these magi a little bit, but I won't go there tonight. Anyway, um, so he has these guys come back, and they, he wants to find out what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search and carefully, search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. They're looking for a young child. Do you know it's possibly, many put the time frame, a year and a half since the birth of Christ? You know, when we see the the uh, three wise men show up bearing gifts, and we put them in the nativity scene with their gifts, Yes, right. You have, you've seen those nativity scenes, which are not really biblically accurate. They might feel good to get the theme of Christmas, but they're not conveying the time frame well. Find this young child and let me know, and I'll come, that I may come and worship him also. You really think so? <laughs> you know, uh, he's going to worship him, all right. You know, in a different form, of course. You, you we know that, and, and we're going to see that we're not the only ones that figured that out. When they heard the when they had heard the king they departed and behold the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was when they saw the star they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy and each time i read through this like man how does that work because we're talking about experiences we're talking about observable things so it would appear that it's not always like It's not the best North Star to follow. You know what I'm saying? Like if you've been out in the woods, you've always been instructed to find the North Star, get your bearings, and we have certain celestial references. But this one, why couldn't they have just done this in the first place? If it's so obvious, they could just follow the star right to this place. So I don't know why it seemed to vary, why they had to involve... um, Reasoning and intellect, as opposed to just visual observation. But here in this portion, doesn't it appear that the star really was the one that kind of took them to the right spot? Somehow, that this particular illuminated celestial mark got them to where they're supposed to be. They saw the star. They were rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they had come into the house, notice it wasn't the manger, the house... They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Do you know why we have it written in our songs and stories of three? In all probability, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They would have each given one, which is probably not accurate at all. Um, gold many believe gold represented royalty frankincense was a was a a incense uh, represented priesthood and myrrh was actually a gummy type um, material that was was uh, um, like an antiseptic used for embalming so it represented death and so it's interesting because those three we've mentioned, not because there was three specific things that each one gave, because it was probably an entourage because they're carrying such wealth, it was probably a pretty good-sized group, because they were significant enough, as they moved through Jerusalem to capture attention, they were wealthy enough to gather a position before the king. It wasn't their message alone. You had all kinds of lunatics saying things. the king wouldn't open the door to them. The message was was backed up by, you know, King Herod also got gifts. It was a natural way of a greeting among dignitaries. And So they show up, they're excited, they bring these gifts. I believe, personally, it's just a kind of a thought or opinion or economics. I I believe what they're given is what enables Mary and Joseph to do what they must do with Jesus in in the hours and days to come. Verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. God says, okay, just what you thought he's gonna do, he's gonna do, so you go that way. You know, don't go back to Herod, don't check in, you know, and which was a risky move on their part because they have been given a command by the king to violate that command and sneak out of the country. If you're caught, then you're gonna, it's not gonna work out so well, but we know, When they're warned in a dream, they, for whatever reason, whatever type of dream it was, it was God speaking to them, listen, this is the way you go. Now, verse 13, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, arise, take the young child. He didn't say take your son, did he? Because it wasn't his son. Take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy, destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Let's stop there. Can we practically grasp that this, this was difficult? He didn't, you know, Stephen, was it Philip? was it Philip, you know, he was preaching and then he was just moved over to another area. He didn't do that with Jesus, with Joseph, and with Mary. You know, there, there's a lot to that. Can you can just put yourself there? You, you, Joseph wakes up. I just got a dream. I just had an angel speak to me in the dream. We got to go. We've got to go to Egypt. We got to get out of the promised land and go over here. And so they literally have to put everything together. And get up and go. You know, I, I think when we read this sometimes, you know, we don't put human reality into the mix of it. And, and it, it, consider the the anxiety and the emotion, the confidence in what was said, but the uncertainty of how you're going to do it. And and here they they get up and they were told to stay you know, they, by night and departed for G, Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying... Out of Egypt I called my son. So Matthew, inspired by God, the word of God written on the heart of Matthew, brought through his hand, so to speak, as a vessel to you and I to be preserved through history. He, God makes the association, the correlation, the connection between this passage in the Old Testament and this here. Because see, this is one of those, when you look this up, you go, Uh, ah that's stretching it because if you if you ever noticed that the things that god takes out of the old testament says this is a fulfillment of my word and you limit yourself to your rules of interpretation which you always should have rules of interpretation and you go back there and you go i would have never made that connection i would have never been to correlate i would have never synchronized those would have never seen it it's because you're not god to here we have it revealed, and I love it because it's one of those that just reminds me to be sensitive to the Spirit and let the Word of God speak to you, but it will never contradict itself. You can't be sensitive to the Spirit, as some call it. Well, the Spirit showed me this was the interpretation. Yeah, but it wasn't the Spirit of God. Because if it contrary, it's contrary to the Word of God, it wasn't from the Spirit of God. He will never contradict himself. So I love this as one of those, like, Man, but notice what it says out of Egypt I called my son this is this is odd things happening these strange events are taking place they're moving in the middle of the night and it's going to be it'll be a fulfillment of prophecy it wasn't so the prophecy could be fulfilled the prophecy was declared and this is this is how it's going to unfold which is real life stuff again and here's the dark part verse 16 then Herod when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. This is probably why the people were so concerned. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he determined from the wise men. So that's why we can make a little more connection to the age of Jesus, because he was probably around a year, a year and a half, Herod is going to say, when was this happen? And probably then create a buffer to two years old and under. I'll just take out all the young male children. I'll just kill all of them in the Bethlehem area and I'll solve the problem. Which shows how dark it was. But notice verse 17. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. What a terrible thing takes place. What an insane battle is happening in this world we live in. And, and the, the the women, the moms in Bethlehem, you know, they'll carry that heartache and that loss the rest of their lives. It's, just, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. I read this story and it's like, wow, how would that be? And we see this this, you know, Reality of what's taken place is repeated over and over, if you would, where we see loss and heartache, death in the world. We know we will die, but the reality of death will rock you every time, and and that's what we're seeing here in verse nineteen. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, "Arise, take the young child and his mother." Did you see that again? Take the baby who's not your son, but you will have, you'll be a father figure to him and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then Joseph arose, took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. you remember where all this started? Verse 26, Luke 1. In the sixth month, angel Gabriel, who was sent by God to a, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin... Mary. You see what's happened? Come all full circle around now. They're back in Nazareth again. Really fascinating, but notice what it says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Remember the Nazarenes? What was one of their signature things? Long hair? Yeah, it was an oath. And that was one of the oaths. They they made oaths to God. So they were Nazarenes by oath, but he's Nazarene by birth. He's Nazarene because he's a resident, not because he had the oath, because he doesn't need to be fulfill anything by oath. He's a Nazarene by residence, if you would. It's pretty fascinating, so. So that's where we're going to park it for tonight. So 756. We made it. So let's pray. God, what a sweet thing to go through your word and even just take a a broader view and kind of a flyover and and see from above so much detail. And and Lord, I just thank you that you continue to stir us and awaken us, remind us of your faithfulness, even as we struggle with some of these dark things within this text that are hard to to grasp and it stirs our emotion. Lord, um, we're just thankful Thankful, God, that you rescued us from death. That you have brought life. That as your word reveals these dark things, it's because man has rejected you. And you came to reconcile humanity more than just bring a balance to the account. You brought regeneration, new life. And we thank you for that, God. And we just pray this night, and the next few days, and The days we have, Lord, may we be used by you to reflect your love, to reveal your joy, to walk with the awareness that you have this, that you have resolved our human dilemma, Lord, that you offer us life and that more abundantly. Somehow can we share that with friends, family? We specifically lift up those who just, they just wavered and wandered off course. Some seem to have, just drifted off the road and they're just still chugging along. Others just seem to hit the throttle and take a hard left into no man's land, Lord. And they spiritually are still just bouncing off of things. God, I'm just so thankful that you meet them where they are. You meet them where they are. And you'll prompt them and you'll stir them and you'll remind them. And you'll rescue them, God. And so we lift up those family members, friends, People we've known, Lord, that have just wandered. Oh, thank you, God, that you are the rescuer of the wayward soul, that you are the one that brings the prodigal back to the Father. And so, Lord, we thank you. May this Christmas time be a time for many to return to your love, Lord Jesus. May you be glorified. Thank you, God, in your name. Amen. Amen.